Hi, and welcome to another episode of Startup Stories, where I interview the best and brightest startup founders and experts so you can be ahead of the curve with your own startup venture. This episode brings us together with Michael Klein from SafeSide, a startup that's taking what our parents know as buying life insurance and making it simple, fast, and digital. Most insurance companies sell multiple products bundled around the topic of life insurance, making it difficult to understand for most of the population. This in turn means that to understand these insurance products, most people require the help of an insurance professional, which means they need to take a few hours out of their schedule, print out contracts, and maybe even go to the insurance office to meet with the advisor. In our conversation, we cover how SafeSide is tackling the current problems of life insurance, how the team validated their ideas, which challenges arise when you have a remote team, and how an accelerator program can help early stage founders get where they want to go faster. I'm super excited to share this episode with you today. Enjoy! So, welcome. How are you doing? Good, fine. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, thank you for taking the time. I'm really excited to hear about your startup story. If, we, if you could, in maybe one minute, um, talk a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what problem is your startup solving? Yeah, so my name is Michael Kleon. I've been a financial analyst for close to uh, 20, 20 last years. Um, and basically about uh, close to one year ago, um, I came up with the idea that the way that life insurance is being sold in Switzerland is not optimal, in particular with my experience being a financial analyst and analyzing insurance companies and also seeing therefore what's happening around the world. So um, my, my conclusion was that a lot could change in Switzerland and that was the motivation to start a startup. The problem in Switzerland is twofold. Firstly, I think a lot of people have a false sense of security when it comes to their financial um, protection. So they think because of the very good social security system with three pillars in Switzerland, they're very well covered if something happens to you and covered in the sense of that um, their, their dependents um, will have financial security. Unfortunately, that's not really the case because actually by design, the first and second pillars are so designed that most people should come to a level of about 60 or to 70% of the income um, they used to have if something happens to them or what the, the dependents are going to get. Um, and the second problem is that if people therefore want to inform themselves whether they need to require financial protection, it's very difficult to do so. In fact, if you go to insurance company's website, everything is still geared towards you um, having to speak to a financial advisor, to an insurance agent, and most people prefer not to speak to an agent, um, and therefore the current environment is quite tough for them. And then there's another problem as well is that it's not possible to actually buy life insurance, and here I'm thinking in particular of pure life insurance, so only covering you against uh, risks of death. So if something happens to you, your dependents get financial support. And if you want to do this online at the moment, it's very complicated and it's still not fully digital. This means that at the end, you still have to print something out and send it into the insurance company, which in turn means you don't know whether you're going to cover it um, and you can't do anything else during the time because um, you have sent them 
a request for coverage and therefore you have to wait for at least two weeks and sometimes even up to four weeks if the insurance company requires a medical examination. Okay. So what we are doing is we are providing a platform where anyone can inform themselves, find out if this is the right product for themselves, and if yes, buy it fully digitally. Um, and so within five minutes or even less than five minutes, our ambition is that you can do it below three minutes and you get coverage. Yeah, I read that about the three minutes. That's super cool. Um, Michelle and I have been working on on an insurance startup uh, as well. I don't know if, if you knew that. And uh, it was more or less the same problems. It was just uh, other products, household insurance and and uh, private liability insurance. One one challenge that that we had was to identify our target customer. Uh, you say you know people in Switzerland are they're not insured enough or life insurance in with this product. Um, but who exactly are you targeting? Do you do you have a group that you know that you can specifically say you know I don't know this age range. Yeah. Yes. Um, and basically, I've been the target group myself. So I kind of will be selling um, or will be targeting myself to some extent, myself maybe five years ago, not now. And it's um, therefore, on a first um, sense, it's people who are just uh, have a new family, they're expecting a baby. Um, they're at a point where something in the life is changing. And here quite often, it's a perfect time to talk to them about financial security because they know that their life is changing. They want to do everything right. Um, they know, for example, if there's a baby coming, you buy a baby car seat, you buy um, prams, you buy clothes and so on. And one thing that most people should do as well is think about the financial consequences and the financial protection this entails. Unfortunately, in Switzerland, it's really complicated and Every, everyone knows, oh, this is probably going to involve insurance. And at the moment, a person hears the word insurance. Um, if there's no, normally they try and run for it. And you probably had a similar experience as well with your startup when you came to home insurance and, um, and liability, that people just have an inherent feeling that it's complex. It's, it's something where they need advice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we've definitely had that. Um... So you say you're fully you're fully digital, um, and again I'm I'm comparing it to 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 my experience. Um, so the goal was to acquire customers digitally, because you don't have salespeople knocking on doors. How exactly do you do that? With you know where do these people gather? What what channels have you have you tried to to test? Yeah, we are we are still in the testing phase, so I have to um, highlight and uh, highlight and say as well that we haven't launched our platform yet, so we are not yet uh, trying to reach actively clients and get them to buy the product. Um, however, having said that, I think what we have learned from our channel checks is that we need to have a differentiated strategy, so social media, online presence. Um, and the usual things that encompasses. But actually, what is probably going to be more successful is also with affiliate groups uh, being in there and trying to get people to um, actually be our, um, our mouthpieces and talk about our product um, if they encounter other people who have similar problems. Yeah. 
you you I saw online you had a you said you had a lot of interviews with potential customers. Just to give the listeners a bit of a of an insight of how many that can be for a startup. How, how many how many conversations did you have over this whole time? Um, yeah, um, to be honest, I didn't count them one by one, but uh, I think we're getting close to 100 custom interviews yeah. um, from people in Switzerland. Um, we have also done a survey um, where we have had within two months, I think, more than 300 um, responses. So we have got some quite differentiated and interesting insights in terms of how Swiss people are thinking. Mm. Um, I guess what, what's interesting um, is that there are lots of uh, things that everybody kind of agrees on um, and we knew, but also what's sometimes a little bit difficult and where we have had discussion is we get quite a lot of feedback in terms of what people think might be good as well and what other problems, individual problems they have encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes one solution to one problem means that you can't offer a solution to another problem that another person has had. So we need to decide what is important in terms of how we want to position ourselves. Um, but that, of course, opens up quite interesting um, and fruitful discussion sometimes. Right, right. Yeah, it's it, potential customers like to come up with new features and it's really dangerous to to add them to the to the backlog because then you get a a whole a whole book of features that uh, that they want. What would you consider a good interview? You've probably learned over over these 100 interviews, you know, what types of questions to ask, how to ask them, what what should a, a new entrepreneur focus on? I think the best interviews is where I almost don't have to ask any questions. So where the person actually talks about the experiences, about the likes and dislikes, about the hopes and fears. Um, so it's, it's all about listening and just getting a feeling in terms of what is the problems that they're really encountering. And then if, if there is a little bit something that might be slightly unclear um, to, to, to poke a little bit and get to the bottom of, what the real problem might be that a person is encountering. And at the same time, of course, not to have leading questions because that has a major impact. And it's really difficult sometimes not to have leading questions. <laughs> at least it was uh, sometimes for me the case. And also to have open questions to exactly to get people to actually talk talk themselves so you don't have to ask one question after another. Right, right. Yeah, so, so lead, for the listeners, leading questions are questions that lead you to a certain answer um, and open questions is not a yes no question right exactly so that uh, you don't ask uh, do you like this yes no but uh, what about it do you like or what about it don't you like and leaving it open what also what uh, what we focused on in our interviews was um, and this is based on a book uh, called customer development uh, it was focusing on emotions so if you when you have your interview and your your partner who's who you talk to reacts emotionally to one of your questions you you should maybe go dig deeper there because emotions uh signify that this is an important topic for that person and so you might find out problems there so that that was just uh, something that came to mind right yeah, now. I would I would uh, agree to that as well. It's it's really the emotions that's the most interesting aspect that you really get to the bottom of what drives people. Yeah? And I guess also what's maybe one thing just to add, if you can have two people or three people conducting the interview or being there observing um, the, the customer, 
um, there can be a major advantage as well because sometimes um, another person picks up on certain non-verbal signals that could potentially be quite important. And also what we have found is sometimes I hear what I want to hear and not necessarily what the person has said. So it's very, very good afterwards to discuss. And which brings, uh, brings me to the final point, if at all possible, um, and the person agrees to it, it can be quite good to actually record the interview so you can go back um, later on when you write down your notes, um, what did they actually really say and did they understand it correctly. Definitely. Yeah, I totally agree on the being two people to, to conduct the interview. We did that and it really helps a lot because it's, it's really hard to pick up on, on everything that's said and the emotions that are in the room. So definitely I can, I can relate to that. I have a question regarding your business model. So you say you, well, I can see it on the website, you provide a faster and easier service and with the same quality. How, how is it possible that you, that you can do this and traditional insurances can't at the moment? Yeah, there are a few things that traditional companies have. First and foremost is just a simple fact that if an insurance company has life insurance in the um, offering, normally this means that it's not just one single product, but probably a range of products because they want to touch on lots of different things that a person might have. And also they want to have the range of various products for the financial advisor or insurance agents. Whereas we actually only focus on one single product that's uh, pure life insurance. So the, the risk of uh, you suddenly um, unexpectedly um, dying um, and then having a payout. So that's one key differentiator. The second key differentiator is what I mentioned kind of between the lines that uh, an insurance company normally has insurance agents. When they see suddenly that someone can actually buy something online, they fear that this might cannibalize and might impact their own sales ability. So quite often they view this negatively, uh, which might even go so far as boycotting it in one way or another. And thirdly, also, at least in theory, is that we should be very humble, very lean, and therefore be able to move much, much faster and having just one, um, one um, product in our um, offering um, means also we can promote it in a more differentiated and more targeted way than what insurance companies can do. Yeah, so it's easier to sell one single product than many, and that's why you can do it online. And I, I, I suppose it's a pretty standardized product. Exactly. It's probably one of the most standardized products. I would even go so far and say it's probably the easiest of all insurance products, and that includes not just life insurance, but non-life as well. Because as a person, actually, the only thing you have to decide is, okay, how much coverage do, do I need for my loved ones? And for how long do I need the coverage? And that's it. Because you know if, well, your loved ones know if an event has occurred, um, that's quite black and white. There are hardly any exclusions. If there are any exclusions, they're very obvious. And everyone would agree, fair enough, there's no payment. Uh, for example, if your wife suddenly decides, well, I want to get my hands on the money earlier than the, right. the coverage period. Well, that, of course, uh, and, and the insurance company finds out that would be excluded, of course. Right. You Somewhere, somewhere online, you say that um, life insurance have low margins. Is that correct? It depends how you look at it. So um, in the countries outside of Switzerland, um, pure life insurance, as we focus on, do indeed have very, very low margins, a very 
hard uh, fought uh, markets or very high competitions. In Switzerland, that is not the case. Um, if you look at the absolute margin, so just in terms of Swiss francs, yes, the margins are not very attractive in Switzerland compared to, say, for example, a mixed life insurance product, i.e. a product where you don't only get pure risk coverage, but also get some savings part involved. Those normally are far more attractive for a life insurance company in terms of the absolute money that they can make than a pure life insurance um, product. Okay. So, but it's still possible to build a, a viable business with these margins. So the, the margins are not very high for us, um, but what we want to do is be very, very lean, very focused, um, and having the, the latest technology should mean that the costs in order to to manage the product should be very low as well, right. uh, which means that we really can focus on uh, delivering a service. But here, I, I think as well, what we want to do in a second and third step, offer um, additional services to customers and by offering these higher value propositions, actually uh, make money on those uh, on those products. Okay, okay, got it. So I also read you, you're working in a remote team. Uh, is it Austria, Germany and Switzerland? Uh, all, almost. Yeah. It's uh, Liechtenstein and Switzerland. Liechtenstein and Switzerland. Yeah, but uh, the good thing is it's only one and a half hours uh, in between, um, so we actually meet very often physically. Okay. What, what's your experience with working in a remote team? Are there any tactics, tactics you use to, you know, to handle the downsides or, or the negative parts of having a remote team, or, or don't you have any negative parts? Um, it's learning in progress. So what my, I mean by that is we haven't found the optimal way of, of working um, remotely. I think one thing that we do is we try and meet um, often. Um, we have lots of phone conversations, video conversations, um, and it's all about really very, very open communication. That's really important. So everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows about the, the goals that they have. And this also means we try to have at least one communication per day. Yeah. It's funny because the last interview I did, or the one we just published, actually, that startup, it's, it's called Selma Finance. Maybe you, you've heard of it. They, they work you know, in Helsinki, Zurich, very, very remotely. And they do every two weeks, everyone speaks or has a 20-minute phone call with all other members separately. So... I would have a phone call with you this Friday and in two weeks I would have a phone call with another team member and just 20 minutes to talk about anything just to keep uh, kind of this connection going. And I thought that was, that was pretty interesting uh, tactic to, to not lose sight of one another personally as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably very good. Yeah. Um, ultimately I think that the key thing is that everyone is really razor sharp focused on the project, identifies themselves with the, um, with, with, with the startup and the company and has the same vision. Yeah? And I think if, uh, if the team members have that, then a big potential hurdle is already overcome because this means everyone has kind of a similar, um, a similar goal in the mind. Right. I want to quickly touch on the F10 accelerator. Um, I read you were part of one of the batches. That's right. Yeah. Um, how... How did the F10 accelerator help you specifically reach the goals that you've set yourself? Yeah, so the F10 accelerator is um, 
an accelerator that's um, financed uh, by some of the big corporates in Switzerland. It's focused on fintechs. So it's the big um, financial companies that involved both on the banking side as well as on the insurance side. And then also some, um, some of the consultants are involved. And what it really did is um, that uh, it's a six months long program with um, one week or two week um, sessions full of masterclasses. And these masterclasses have lots of different programs where you go through topics that will be relevant at one stage or another for a young company. For example, how do you, how do you deal with conflicts? How do you do um, design thinking, um, lean canvas, and lots of different techniques um, that at one point or another are going to be important for a young startup. And what they do is they bring the, the experts in-house to present um, and work on these topics together with the startups of each batch. Hmm. And what's one topic you would say you really, bene you really benefited from, from the, the accelerator? So I... Me personally, I really liked um, the whole concept in terms of uh, how to build up a team, um, how it's really important to select the right team members. And uh, I probably find this uh, the, the, the most complex thing because you want to have um, people that are, that are really identifying themselves with your project, but at the same time diverse enough so they bring something themselves to the project. And uh, one of the learnings was that if you look at startups and who is surviving and who is not surviving, actually it's, it's not the idea that uh, quite often is the stumbling block, uh, but quite often the stumbling block is um, the, the, the people that, that just fall out. So you would say, what's the most important thing, the, the heterogeneous uh, so I, I very much um, what to say is I, I very much like the, the classes on how you go about to find the right uh, co-founders and then also later on yeah. um, new team members. And, uh, but that's just something personal, I guess, and uh, it probably comes down to as well where I find where I have the highest learning curve versus other people probably have some something else that they found very interesting. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think this topic is super interesting and it's because it's kind of a soft topic. It's a bit hard to, to grasp. Where did you find your co-founders? Um, it, it, it was um, mostly from acquaintances. And we started actually off with three co-founders. Um, and uh, the reason why I, I went into... Uh, went to to found my found this company was because of um, these co-founders. Unfortunately, with one B, it didn't work out in terms of the distance, in terms of the communication. Um, so at, at the moment, we are two and a half co-founders, two and a half <laughs> because we have got one person that is uh, that is about hopefully about to join us. All right, should definitely join. I really think this topic, uh, this this insurance should uh, it should change. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the good thing is the person is just spending a lot of time really understanding the problem, um, identifying him himself with uh, what we are what we are trying to achieve, and uh, I prefer the person to really be convinced um, with uh, with our vision and what we are trying to achieve, um, rather than just saying, oh oh great, uh, I can do some very, very enticing and interesting mm. 
um, technological projects, because I think on this front, there's a huge amount um, that should and will eventually happen in the life insurance space as well. Um, but it's more important to really be, be um, to, to identify yourself right. with, the, um, with the problem you are solving. And the problem, I think, is very simple. As I said, is um, on one side, educating people in Switzerland about life insurance and what they truly need. And secondly, making it as easy as possible to actually be able to buy it. It should be as able, uh, it should be possible to just buy it from the comfort of your sofa. You know, you don't have to print out stuff, wait for two or four weeks and not know whether you actually covered or not. Yeah. I really hope you guys, you know, launch soon. And then, uh, so I can just uh, use that product. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sounds good, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, at the end of each interview, I, I ask a couple of questions um, that I ask everyone. Um, so there's three questions. The first one is, what's something crazy you believe that nobody else around you believes? Yeah, um, I probably have to add, before I answer, I have to highlight that um, in my studies, I did economics and also philosophy. Mm -hmm. And the philosophy part, or, or I did the studies um, in the UK, in London, and the philosophy part uh, was at a department that's, that was very focused on scientific uh, methods of philosophy of science. And there is um, an Austrian philosopher called Feyerabend, um, and he said that if you want to find truth in the world, um, it's not just okay to use one scientific method, so how science at the moment works, but actually, if you really want to find truth, um, anything goes. So sometimes religious people might be able to find the truth or, or get closer to the truth, and sometimes, uh, but most of the times, of course, it would be the scientific method, but you need to have an open mind if you really want to advance um, knowledge and uh, get closer to how the world really works. And uh, that's probably something crazy <laughs> to say, at least I think it's slightly crazy, um, but it's, uh, it's something I think if you really go into it, um, that has a lot of uh, interesting aspects. Definitely. I think I might join you on that one, but I do, I do, I do agree that... <laughs> you, I'm not on my own, yeah? <laughs> you're not on your own, but I do agree that a lot of people don't see it like that. And I've had conversations <laughs> where where that um, came to light. So the second is one is, uh, is there any topic you'd like to talk about that you believe to be important for aspiring entrepreneurs that we haven't covered in the conversation so far? And I think for, for that, uh, something that I'm really grateful uh, for is actually my wife, because if my wife wasn't there to support me, I, I wouldn't have had the courage to actually um, jump into this uh, pond of, uh, of being, being an entrepreneur. And mm. what she does is not just support me by being my, my partner, but also by being there emotionally and uh, when you have a down day, um, helping you to, to stand up again and see the, 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 the positives and give you light at the end of the tunnel. And also um, it, uh, it is certain help financially. Um, um, and ultimately, I guess the, the joke that we have is she's probably the CEO of our company, um, but CEO <laughs> meaning the, the chief emotional officer. <laughs> I like it. Definitely, I can also also join in on that one. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of down days, as you call them. There's many of them, and it really helps having someone to, yeah, to catch that emotion. 
yeah, it's good to have a good partner, uh, a good co-founding team. But I think the, the partner on the personal life side is very important. Well. Right. So everyone, because the reality is, of course, as you as as you know, being being an entrepreneur as well is, you don't leave your problems, professional problems, at the door at six o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock when you go home. Oh no, they come with me. All this baggage comes with you. Yeah. <laughs> they they sneak it in your jacket pockets. They always come with you. <laughs> something like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. It's the beauty of it as well. It's got a beauty and a and a bad part as well. So my last question is, what's the last book or blog post or article you read or video you saw um, that you would like to recommend to entrepreneurs? Maybe not the last, maybe it's the best one. Um, maybe a video, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's something completely out of the blue, but it's by a guy called Chris Voss. And he is an ex-FBI negotiator, has written quite a lot of books about negotiation, And this is something I found quite inspiring because it's well, it gives you lots of tips in terms of how to go into discussions. And life, of course, as you know, is full of discussions. It's full of communication. So it's all about um, how you communicate your idea and how you view the world. You can view it uh, with lots of problems or with lots of solutions. Um, yeah, so, so I, I, I think that uh, that was quite inspiring to me. Yeah, it's so funny. I've been watching his videos this last week. It's so funny. It's really, really good. It's, let's uh, hope it's not the Google algorithm. Yeah? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Who knows? But it's really good and uh, it really helps. It, it gives another twist to, to having conversations with people and getting them to a point that they, it, it's not manipulating, but, but getting them to, to agree to something. Um, one, one, re one thing I, I really think is interesting is there's this broad opinion that you should get people to say yes a couple of times in in the beginning of the conversation um and then they'll be more likely to say yes to whatever you're asking them and he chris voss he just says there's different kinds of yes and you can for example if someone calls you from a company and they want to sell you something you might say yes you have five minutes but you're in your head you're thinking um What, what is this person going to tell me? Um, do I even have time? Do I even want to talk to that person? And, and he says it's, it's much better to get people to say no, which was really interesting to me. Uh, and yeah. he says, if when someone says no, it, that person has a feeling of control and then relaxes. Um, and so you can have much more fruitful conversations. I think we did actually watch the same video, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a really cool video. So I'll I'll put the link in the in the show notes. That was that was it actually. Well, thank the, you very much, uh, the Daniel. Interview with with uh, startup stories. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you um, for for having uh, the opportunity to speak here. Of course, of course. Thank you for for sharing your insights and really all the best to you. Let me know when you launch, and I'll buy. I will definitely do. Thank you so much again, Neil. Thanks. Bye bye. was it thank you for listening to another episode of startup stories make sure to check out the show notes with additional links at nerdentrepreneurs.com and if you like our podcast leave a review on itunes see you next monday